Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. It is amazing the caliber of guests that we have had on the Intentional Encourager podcast, not because of me, but because of the caliber of people that we have. And this guy is no exception. If you follow him on LinkedIn, you understand it's people over everything. And he's the author of the book, Standing O. He has a talent council that we'll be telling you about that you can be a part of. And so it's my honor to welcome Scott McGregor, to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Scott, what's good? How you doing? Brian, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. I'm having a great day, and uh, this is uh, the cherry on top, so I appreciate the invite. Well, I would give you a standing O, but then I would I would reveal that I'm wearing joggers on the bottom half here. And, uh, you know, you, you want to try to be as nice as you can, you know, from the top up. You know, it, it, it's funny, and you're a, lot, you're a part of a lot of virtual presentations and things like sure. that if people could only see from the bottom down you know it's the, it's the shorts it's the flip-flops it's you know it's it's business up top and party on the bottom so yeah hey there you go COVID, man COVID, COVID attire <laughs> i love it man so speaking of covid let's start here speaking of covid take me through the last 18 months or so in in your world personally professionally some of the challenges that you you have faced and maybe a lesson that you took that you'll carry past covid from from what you've gathered the last 18 months or so um i'm i'm maybe a little bit of an odd duck uh i personally for me uh and this is not to minimize at all the impact that this has had on people's loved ones on certain businesses. Um, but for me, I view the last 18 months as it was different. Um, it had challenges associated with it, but life is full of those. And I could go back to anthrax, 9-11, 2008, uh, you name it. Uh, we have a lot of these moments in time. And one thing I try not to do about anything um, is catastrophize things. Um, so for me, it was different, but it wasn't it wasn't overly challenging. It was just a moment in time that I knew we had to get through. I had no idea, like anybody else, how long it was going to last. But I'm kind of a roll with the punches kind of a person. And, you know, whatever life throws at you, you just have to figure it out. Uh, you have to be resilient. Um, so for me, uh, I guess it reinforced the notion that these are just all moments in time and that we're going to be okay. Uh, and we just have to stick to the things and our principles 
that are important to us. Um, and yeah, we made some minor pivots in terms of business, but I, I launched a completely new uh, company in the Talent Champions Council, uh, published another book, uh, actually two books during COVID. Uh, so I don't know, it was just a moment in time for me. It's funny you mentioned that because, again, I see where you're coming from. And a lot of people will say, well, my business got better. My business improved. My business, we did some th different things that we hadn't done before, and we got tremendous results. And yep. we know that there are a lot of people that were hurting through that. So that's why I wanted to ask, because everybody's experience is different. Let me ask you this. What did you learn about people? That, that it was either a refresher for you or or you said, man, I hadn't considered this about people. What did you learn about people in the pandemic? Um, people are more resilient than they think uh, they can be. So I've seen companies that on paper you say, you know, there's just no way they're going to survive um, because their business model is, you know, something that you would think needs to be one-on-one, uh, -on -one. like you think gyms, personal trainers, like how are they going to survive? And I have friends that run those businesses and it's always inspiring to, to watch people figure it out. Um, it's amazing uh, when the pressure's on uh, how people can figure things out that seem pretty daunting and seem like they're trapped. So I think you know, resiliency for me is like a big, big theme in my life. It's a big, uh, I think it's something that you actually can learn and you can hone that skill. Um, and I think COVID gives us and all challenging opportunities, give us that opportunity to hone that skill yeah. um, and become more resilient. Scott, you, and, and I know a little bit about you. you. You're a Minnesota Vikings fan. I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan, so our team's hooked up the first yeah, game thanks, of the, the – Yeah, no, no problem. Well, you know, we, we, lost to the, we lost to the Bears the next week. So, But, but here's where I want to go with this. You were talking about figuring things out, that yeah. watching people figure things out. I was watching my Bengals play Pittsburgh on Sunday. And they had a situation where their young quarterback, Joe Burrow, goes to the line of scrimmage. And he sees, and he talks about it in the press conference, he sees the linebackers backing out of the box, so to speak, up yep. near the line of scrimmage. And he goes to a quarterback draw, calls a quarterback draw. And he, he says something he said that it ties so well to what you just said. He said, I had to figure out if my repaired knee was up for what I wanted it to do. Yep. Kind of paraphrasing. And in that moment in the game, it was the perfect call in that situation. And he just had to trust that that the plays that he had made before he got hurt, he could make the plays after. When you say something about the the inspiration of watching people figure things out, I want to, I want to throw a football term at you. Sure. How important is it to to have the confidence in life to call an audible? Uh, very, because you have to do it all the time. I mean, there's always a challenge. You know, I always say there's always a bus 
around the corner that you're going to turn that corner and it's going to run you over uh, and you have to be prepared for that. Uh, and, you know, being prepared is kind of just knowing that it's going to happen, um, but you don't really know how big the bus is going to be and how fast it's going to be traveling and all that. So you have to, yeah. you have to be agile enough um, to call that audible uh, and figure stuff out. Um, but that's, ex that's exciting to me. It's that's life would be kind of boring if it was super predictable. I think one of the joys in life is that it's not predictable and you don't really know what's going to happen next. Um, but you have to have the confidence that nothing is the end of the world. No, I love that. And, and, the thing about it is, I, I love what you said a couple minutes ago about sticking to your principles, because a lot of times it would be easy in life to just scrap the game plan and just say, you know, okay, well, the defense is not playing the way we thought it would play. We're not successful. And a lot of teams in panic just scrap the game plan. They just go, you know what? Nothing we're running. The scripted plays we had nothing's working we're just going to scrap the game plan when you think about sticking to your principles let's go here for just a second sticking to the principles how hard is it for folks to actually stick to their principles in the midst of chaos and the midst of uncertainty when you've worked with a lot of high performing high successful people is it hard for them to stick to the game plan or or do they want to just in that situation just oh my gosh, the pocket's collapsing, so to speak. It's time for me to take off and run before I stand here and get hit. I think it's very difficult for people uh, to do that. I think it's ex extremely tough. Um, you know, most people, it's easy to maintain character and values and certain things like that when things are going well, but you're you're truly tested uh, when things are going wrong. And that's typically uh, when people don't really play the long game and don't have maybe the fortitude to see things through. Um, you know, so I, I do think it's extremely difficult. I love that. The fortitude of seeing things through because, you know, Scott, here's the thing is that it would be very easy a lot of times to pivot quickly and, and we we admire people in business right oh you they have the ability to pivot quickly and things like that but it, i believe it really takes somebody that that knows what they want here's a good example i could talk i'm a sports guy so i could talk sports all the time me too people want to talk about a guy like nick saban in alabama yep nick saban is very much a process guy you're not going to come in and tell Nick Saban, hey, if you do this a, a different way, instead of winning eight national championships, you could win 10 or 11. Same thing with Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick of the Patriots. They're really close friends. And nobody's going to go into Bill Belichick and say, well, I know you were 6 and, and 10 last year. You guys didn't have the season you wanted. But if you'll just tweak a couple little things, dude's got seven Super Bowls. Yep. He's won seven Super Bowls. Do you find people when in the midst of a down year or a downtime in, in their business or their life, 
that try to listen to other people that come in and try to change their process. Because I think you hit on something important there about sticking to the principles, the, 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 the magnitude and the fortitude of just sticking to what you know you do best instead of listening to the outside noise. Yeah, I think way too many people are encouraged and it comes sometimes from like a, a good place, like a place of love because people that care about you and sometimes it's the people closest to you, it can be your family sometimes, that they want you to be happy and they want you to be safe. Um, so it's easy in, in a hard situation to say, well, just bail out, uh, get a new job or do something different uh, rather than slog through and kind of see it to the end. Um, but when you do that, you're never developing resiliency and you really don't have the same pride. Uh, once you make it through something tough, there's nothing better uh, than coming back in sports yeah. um, and rallying to win. Um, you know, it's that, that actually to me as a, former competitive athlete like that's better than blowing a team out like blowing yeah. a team out is kind of pretty anticlimactic it's uh it's fun to have to go which sounds strange it's fun to have to go through that gauntlet and come out the other side victorious well what what admired me about the the game the, the first game of the year what i admired about minnesota's team is Kirk Cousins never let them be out of that game. Mm -hmm. Even when they were down two, two scores. And, and you know, the Cincinnati fans and the media were killing Zach Taylor for going for it on fourth and one from their own 30-yard yeah. line. And his reasoning was, I want us to be aggressive. I wanted to keep, you know, if we get that first down, we, we control the game. Yeah. And Minnesota, the next play, just seized on that opportunity and they took advantage of it. it. It didn't surprise me because I'd seen Mike Zimmer as the Bengals' defensive coordinator. He's got a an all-in mentality, which which I, I was glad. I, I, I'm a Mike Zimmer fan, so I you know he's he's got that all-in mentality. But what I really loved was Kirk Cousins never let his team feel like they were down. Yep. It felt like that that Cousins was going to make a couple throws. And, 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 and that's what happened. He made a couple throws and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the Joseph kid hits a 54 yard bomb right. to tie the game. And all of a sudden it's like, man, this is, this is good NFL. I mean, even as a Bengals fan, I hated that, that they blew the lead, but man, it was just good NFL football. Right. And, and you couldn't be upset if, if Minnesota came back and won because that's what they're supposed to do. They're, they play in the NFL. One last question, we'll pivot. You know, when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about the Minnesota depth chart. Scott and I will break down the Vikings <laughs> depth chart. But that's, that's, that's my temptation. But I want to ask you this. When you, when, as a competitive athlete and working with high-performing people, what's the one thing that people don't realize that high competitors have that fuels them to that level of competitiveness? Uh... I mean, every everyone that I know that fits that bill, uh, they have kind of three things. They have a great work ethic, they have discipline, and they have resiliency. Um, 
I very rarely see people that are at the top of their game, uh, whether it's sports, whether it's military, whether it's business, doesn't matter, that don't have those three attributes. So I think work ethic, discipline, and resiliency are are three things that I look for in employees, whether they're for my company uh, or whether we're doing work for another company, finding them talent. Those are those are hallmarks of uh, people that excel. Man, that's so good. Let's step aside, take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to Scott about the Talent Champions Council. And we're also going to talk about Standing O and, and Standing O Encore. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see behind Scott our, our poster covers of the book, Standing O and Standing O Encore. My guest, the, the great Scott McGregor, joining me today on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Come back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank-featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Scott, let's get into what you've been doing the last several months, the Talent Champions Council and then your books. Take me through the, the process of starting the Talent Champions Council and seeing the need out there. What, what was really your impetus for, for getting that off the ground and getting that rolling? Yeah, great question. So seven years, almost seven years ago, I left a job as a chief revenue officer, and I was very fortunate. I had helped to build a company from about five people to almost 300 um, and my experiences uh, with recruiters was not great. So I decided to build a better mousetrap. And that better mousetrap was a company called Something New. So that for the last six plus years, we've been doing recruiting uh, and talent acquisition very differently. And I love the business. So the business was designed to do two things, educate uh, clients, uh, and, and it had to have a big give back component. So that was a huge, huge uh, thing for me as a new entrepreneur um, is I knew my business, no matter what it was, had to have a big give back component. So we've been doing very well over the last, you know, almost seven years and have won tons of awards and all that. Um, so during COVID, my wife and I decided to kind of get out of Dodge for a little bit. We live in Connecticut and we had never been uh, to Charleston, South Carolina, but had heard a lot of great things about it. So we decided to take a road trip and we drove the whatever it is, 14 hours to Charleston in August, which uh, 
I love Charleston, but yeah. my goodness, it is hot and humid in August. So <laughs> that might have been a yeah. little bit of a mistake. But on our ride back, I was saying to my wife, Meg, um, you know, I love my business. The only downside is we can only work with about 100 companies a year. Uh, and I want to figure out a way to impact more people and to increase our give back. And in thinking about it in that car ride, I thought, well, all the companies that were teaching how to do things better, they're all made up of individuals that need to know, understand how to do things better. So I'm a pretty decent community builder. So I said, why don't I build a community uh, for every leader, it doesn't matter if you're a CFO, a CEO, a CRO, a CPO, or a frontline manager, and help them to understand the power of having a people over everything mindset. Yeah. And I knew that there'd be a give back component. So we started the Talent Champions Council to do that. Um, we've done it in a number of different ways, but we've we're a big believer that not only tapping into kind of corporate icons to teach the lessons of how to do those things better, but tapping into military leaders and also people in professional sports um, would really be advantageous because I believe that pro sports and the military, they actually do talent better than corporate America. Yeah. So for instance, the first master class that we put on in January uh, was uh, a friend of mine, Dick Vermeil, who coached the Rams. I'm glad uh, you so brought up Coach Vermeil. For, forgive me for interrupting, but I, I'm glad you brought up because that was the first guy that I thought of as you were talking about that. And and what what is so powerful about Coach Vermeil? Is this was a guy, and if you and if you watch the movie Invincible about Vince Papali, you'll see how Dick Vermeil makes the transition from coaching at UCLA. Yep. Then he gets hired by the Philadelphia Eagles. Norman Bram, who's the owner of the Eagles at the time, sees Vermeil. Vermeil's job is to interject energy into a franchise that was, I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles in the early 70s, they were pathetic. They were not a great organization at all. And and what I remember about Vermeil, and, and if you study Coach Vermeil, he was on top of the world, took the Eagles to the Super Bowl, and then burned out. And then just said, I'm done coaching football. Because he had he and 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 you probably know the story better than I, but what I know of it, he would spend days in his office you know, 20, 22 hour days, just the, and the days just repeated themselves. They never stopped like a perpetual groundhog day. And he famously walked away from the game, but then came back 15 years later after being at the top of his profession as a broadcaster and then takes the St. Louis Rams to a Super Bowl and wins it with a backup quarterback in Kurt Warner. His life is just so incredible. And I'm glad you mentioned coach Vermeil. What's one thing that Coach Vermeil does that makes it? And, and if you don't want to give the secret sauce, I'm just curious about Coach Vermeil because to do it, then step away, 
be great in another profession, come back and pick up like he never left off. How, how does a guy do that? What does he have that gives him the ability to do that? You know, coach has got so many incredible attributes and, you know, it's a blessing to, to call him a friend. Um, he actually wrote the forward to my first book. Um, but, you know, coach, if anything, is passionate. And people know that because he used to get teased a bit for uh, tearing up every once in a while. He's a very emotional guy, but he's super, super passionate. Uh, and I'm, I'm so excited uh, that he's been nominated uh, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I'm, yeah. I'm hoping and praying uh, that he does get in because he deserves it. He's won at every level. Uh, and he's an amazing human being. But I would say, you know, passion um, and caring, truly caring about people. Uh, Coach Vermeil cares about people, um, not just his star players, but everybody in an organization. And I think people feel that and they rally around it. Uh, I know I certainly have felt it. Um, that when I've reached out to him and said, hey, coach, you know, would you write a forward or would you, you know, could you do this? Um, you know, he's enthusiastically done those things and it's, uh, you know, it's greatly appreciated. What amazes me about Coach Vermeil is guys that played for him 40, 40 plus years ago, guys like Ron Jaworski, Harold Carmichael, guys like that, still talk about the impact that he made on them. Yep. And, and and when you've got that kind of, and I wholeheartedly agree, Dick Vermeil's a Hall of Famer, no, but no question. Um, it, it, it amazes me, and not to, to go off to the side here, it amazes me the, the gauntlet that those guys have to run through with the riders just to get to Canton. Uh, it shouldn't be that way. You're a hall, either you're a hall of famer or you're not. And Dick Vermeil's a hall of famer. He's, he did, he did it in different decades. He did it with different teams. He did it with, with different. I mean, the game was different when he got into it when, than when he left it. And, Every and the standard, team he took over uh, in the NFL, including the Kansas City Chiefs at the end of his career, yep. were below 500, and he took every single one of those teams to the playoffs. Amazing. And we see the Kansas City Chiefs today, and I believe this, Scott, that the Kansas City Chiefs that you see today and the success that they've had the last few years was built on what Dick Vermeil started there in the in the mid-2000s when he, when he left St. Louis and and went to Kansas City. I've got to ask you about your book because what really drew me to you was your people over everything approach. And in my book, People Buy From People, was something my dad told me 26 years ago. Yep. And so that's what drew me to you. I want to talk about Standing O. What was the impetus behind it for you to write that book and then write the, the second book behind it? And what's the one thing people are going to get when they get a copy of Standing O? So... I really wanted it when I when I knew I was going to take an entrepreneurial journey, giving back was by far the most important thing for me. And I needed to figure out how to do that because I had also made a decision that I wasn't going to get outside funding, that I wanted to I wanted the company to be profitable from kind of day one uh, and I was going to self-fund it. So 
when you do that, you don't really have the ability to write huge checks. Um, but I wanted to support uh, a lot of different causes that were near and dear to my heart. So I really had to kind of try to think of what can I do that's creative that can help me to give back. And I thought, you know, one of my assets that I have, probably my greatest asset that I have is my friendships and my relationships uh, with just kind of a very, very eclectic group of people that some are CEOs, some are entrepreneurs, some are best-selling authors, Olympians, pro athletes, military leaders. So I thought, well, that's an asset that I think I can leverage by having them write a chapter of gratitude for a life lesson that they learned. I'll put those in a book and we'll give all of the proceeds to charity. So we did that with Standing O. Uh, so Dick Vermeil wrote the foreword, Tiki Barber wrote the cover quote. Um, and that book was successful because we had 52 just absolute rock star authors. Um, so I get credit for being an author, but I'm more of a compiler. Yeah. Um, and so that worked. And because I'm not a genius, I said, I think I have another 50 some odd friends. So we did Standing O Encore. Uh, Jesse Itzler wrote the cover quote, uh, owns the Atlanta Hawks, married to Sarah Blakely, uh, you know, just an amazing guy. And Heather Monahan um, wrote the foreword and that worked. And then I have a very, very uh, strong affinity for the military. So both of my boys served in the military. Um, and I have a lot of friends uh, in the military, especially in, especially in special operations. So I did a book, a specialty book called Standing O Salute, uh, where 100% of the proceeds went to the Special Operations Warrior Foundation. But everybody in that book, uh, they might be successful business people now, but they started in the military. Uh, so we've got tons of Navy SEALs, Green Berets, Army Rangers, Marines, et cetera, uh, in that book. Uh, and that worked. So I said, why don't I do another? So here, here is, uh, I guess, a spoiler alert. So I'm announcing this on your podcast, Standing O Tribute, uh, which I think I have a copy. This is the only copy uh, that is in human hands right now. Standing O Tribute comes out today. So wow. it is available on Amazon today. Brandy Chastain, uh, it was a two-time World Cup winner, two-time gold medalist, uh, you know, Hall of Fame soccer player, wrote the cover quote. Um, so Standing O Tribute comes out today. Uh, it's available on Amazon, and 100% of the proceeds go to the Blankets of Hope. Man, that, thank you for doing that, by the way. It, that is so cool. I, I, I got to ask you this before we take another break. It's, it, it is evident, if you're watching this on YouTube, I saw your your facial expression kind of change when you talked about the military mm -hmm. and your affinity. You, you, by the way, thank you to your sons for serving our country in the military. So I I want to say thank you uh, on behalf of this audience, and, and I believe we should be thanking our men and women who serve in in our military. They keep us safe, keep keep freedom abounding all over the globe. 
I had the opportunity and the privilege, Scott, and I'll set this question up this way. I had the privilege of talking to the, the last remaining survivor, the last remaining survivor who was the Congressional Medal of Honor recipient from World War II. Lives in a neighboring town here in West Virginia. Woody Williams is his name. And he he was talking about how families, when, when a serviceman or woman passes, how the families are, you know, you know, people honor the service person and that's great, but they often forget about the families yep. and the sacrifices that families make. When you have sons that serve in the military, what sacrifice does that family make to, to make sure that, that they can continue to serve? Because I don't think we, I've never asked anybody that question. And, and when you said that, it just prompted me to ask you about the sacrifices of, of a dad and mom of, of men and women that want to go into the, to military service. You sacrifice a little bit of sleep uh, because it's pretty nerve wracking. Um, especially, you know, I remember my oldest son uh, was a Marine and, you know, when you're sending your oldest kid off to boot camp in Paris Island and you have no way to communicate with them uh, and you kind of forget that it probably hasn't been a day uh, since they've been born that you haven't communicated with them. And now you know they're in this unbelievably challenging environment and you have no way to communicate whatsoever. And then you get these heart-wrenching letters back. So, um, you know, I think for families, um, it, it can be very stressful. Um, and Todd Seneff, who's a great friend of mine, uh, is 30-year Navy SEAL commander. Uh, most of the SEALs that people know of today, the Jocko Willinks of the world and people like that, they actually reported to Todd. So he was about as high on the food chain as you can get. He wrote an unbelievable chapter in Standing O uh, about military families and how they should get the credit. So uh, if anybody wants to read a really moving um you know, chapter, Todd, Todd Seneff's chapter in that book is, is unbelievable. Well, and I'm particularly purposeful about that because of, of Woody. Um, and in our local park here in, in Barbersville, West Virginia, you can walk by it and you can see it. And I walk by it. We have a walking track and you walk by the monument to the gold star families yep. and, and you see that and it's a reminder of the ultimate sacrifice. And from the Intentional Encourager podcast, I want to give a standing O. If you're a, a, a veteran or a family member of a serviceman or woman, um, I want to give you a standing O. Because, again, you you deserve a lot of credit. And, again, Scott, from, from us to you, thank you for the sacrifice you and your, your family made. And to your sons, hopefully, if they're listening to this, thank you guys for your service to the United States of America. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into more of Scott's story, uh, have him share some other things with you. What a powerful podcast we're having today with Scott McGregor. People over everything. I want to give this powerful person a chance to tell his story. Back in a moment on the Intentional Courage Podcast. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. 
10 powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Scott, let's dive now into your story. I want you to take me as far back as you want to go from point A to point. I want to know how you line up these eclectic people in your life, man. (laughs) My wife says I have an eclectic group of friends. I want to know how you've lined these these eclectic friends of yours up, and uh, it's powerful. But, man, I want to give you the floor to tell your story. Um, Yes, I guess, you know, for most of us, you know, it's our formative years. It's how we grew up. So I I grew up, uh, you know, pretty poor in an affluent town. Um, So all my friends, their fathers were – doctors, lawyers, CEOs, pilots, you you name it. Uh, and we really didn't have much at all. Um, so I grew up in a, in kind of a strange environment where no one around me was kind of in that same boat. And I think it made me very motivated, not for the material things, but to alleviate the stress that I saw, you know, when you're seven or eight years old and you know that you've got a birthday or Christmas coming up and you know that your parents are gonna maybe overextend themselves and buy presents for you that they can't afford, uh, that's stressful and I just said to myself, you know, I don't know when, but in an early age, like, I'm just not going to live like this. Um, So I'm going to figure out a way to be successful. Um, And that's been a big, big motivator. The other thing I realized is that attaching myself to mentors and to people that were very accomplished uh, was going to lift me up. and, and it certainly did. I mean, the, the athletics was kind of the, what leveled the playing field for me. Um, because, you know, being a fairly decent athlete, uh, kind of put me on the same, uh, pitch as everybody else. Um, but economically, you know, we certainly were not, uh, So I've always been a big believer in building real relationships uh, and that eclectic group of friends 
has just been my desire over the years to truly get to know people that have accomplished special things that have overcome obstacles that I couldn't even imagine. Uh, and it kind of has a snowball effect because once you get to know one person that's, you know, prominent or accomplished, it's certainly easier to develop those other relationships. Uh, and it's just been something that has, you know, truly enriched my life um, because I always have people to look up to and I always have people to bounce questions off of that have been there, done that. Uh, and it's, to me, it's, it's, I said it before, it's my greatest asset mm -hmm. um, is, is my friendships and my relationships uh, with those people. But, you know, I think it's figuring out how do I be a resource to them yeah. and not looking for anything in return. So I truly don't look for anything in return. I do wind up getting things in return. I mean, when you get... Sure for me able to write the forward to your book or you get tiki barber to write things and, and and all that that's getting something but those are you know from years of really trying to be of service to them yeah and scott i gotta ask you this i, I want to step back for just a minute and talk about the impact of your parents growing up and, and i grew up a lot the same way my folks my dad was the single breadwinner so to speak in our family my mom was a stay-at-home mom uh, my dad had a high school education so it was it was literally living paycheck to paycheck for us so yeah. i we, i can totally empathize what was the greatest lesson you learned growing up from your parents uh probably work ethic uh so my dad owned a gas station um and you know, he worked incredibly long hours and I started working there when I was about 10 years old. And this is, you know, back in the day when, you know, if you drove up and got gas, somebody would pump it for you and they check your oil and they check the tire pressure, you know, and a washer windshield and all that. So, you know, I, I can't even kind of fathom it now. Like if you yeah. saw it, little 10 year old kid running out and doing that stuff. You probably well, somebody would this. report them to the child labor yeah. board. <laughs> get arrested. But it's, so I started working, uh, really, really early. Um, and we heated our home with wood. So literally I would spend my weekends in the woods with my dad, cutting trees down, splitting the wood, bringing it home, stacking it, stacking it again in our basement uh, because that's how we heated our water and heated our home. Um, so I think just a, a great work ethic is is probably, you know, one of the key things that I, I learned from my parents. My mom grew up on a farm, um, you know, so she has an incredible work ethic as well. She was a stay-at-home mom, but, uh, you know, always, breakfast, lunch, dinner made, like, you know, she was a uh, very, very hard worker as well. I always said that I, I, one of the greatest regrets in my life was that I didn't get to put my book in my dad's hand. My dad passed away nine years ago, almost nine years ago. And I really would have liked for him to listen to this podcast, 
listen, you know, read the book. When you think about the impact of your folks, and, and, and forgive me, I, I, I love that because I can see a lot of similarities, like, yep. like, like the impact of a father teaching his, his son to work by just going to work every day. In in and I don't know if is your dad still alive? Yeah, still. Yep. So okay, that's great. So I want to ask that. What was it like the first time you were able to give him a copy of your book and say, "Listen, because of in some measure because of what you taught me, this is what I have become." Because I saw you and mom overextend yourself at birthdays and Christmases. Now I don't have to do that because of what you guys taught me. And here's, here's how I want to, in some way, do that. I know what it was like for me to give my mom a copy of my book. What was it like for you to give a copy of your first book to your dad? Um, it's an interesting question, and I'm going to probably <laughs> throw you for a loop with the answer. Uh, extremely anticlimactic. Um, I'm, I'm very, very different. Uh, I'm a very driven, motivated person. Um, and my world that I live in is completely different from the world that my parents live in or my siblings. So I'm a little bit of the black sheep in the family where I'm not sure that people really in my family kind of get me, uh, you know, like, cause I'm, you know, I was the first one to graduate from college and quite honestly, and this is not a dig, uh, I don't think my parents even cared if I went to college. Mm -hmm. uh, they just didn't value that. So, um, you know, there was obviously a sense of pride, um, but I have a very different relationship uh, with my family because I am very different and yeah. they don't necessarily, even though my dad, you know, was technically an entrepreneur. Um, I don't think it was viewed that way. So I don't, I don't think there's a great understanding of kind of, uh, why does he do all these things? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get it. I, I, I do get it. And, and, and my, you know, I have two sisters we're up. I'm the oldest of three and we're to, I, I totally get it because we're as opposite as night and day. Yep. And I, you know, when I, when I wrote my book, my, my one sister was like, ah, oh, great. You know, big deal. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's kind of in it. And so I, I totally get it. I, I understand that. I want to take me through playing competitive sports. You mentioned growing up and, and being an athlete and kind of leveling yep. that playing field. Um, Take me through your journey playing competitive sports. I played baseball in high school. That's as far as I got. But yep. take me through your competitive athletic journey. Yeah, I mean, I was just a sports nut since I was, you know, as long as I can possibly remember. So I was, and I think a blessing in not having a lot of material things is I spent hours and hours and hours literally rolling a baseball uh, up the roof of a, a shed we had in the backyard and then hitting the ball into the shed uh, or kicking a football or, you know, so I just spent ungodly amounts of time 
uh, doing that. Uh, and, you know, was a decent football player and a, uh, a decent baseball player. I originally uh, was coerced by a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Bagwell, who's now in the Hall of Fame, yeah. uh, to go to the University of Hartford, which was a Division I uh, baseball school. I wasn't good enough to play at a, you know, top, top school like a Miami or a USC or any places like that. Um, but Jeff uh, and I grew up together and he said, you know, they're really building a special program here. So I visited a lot of different schools and, you know, decided that that was the right place for me. I wound up blowing out my back uh, and didn't play uh, and literally just channeled everything that I had done to get to that point as an athlete and said, okay, that part of my life is over uh, and I'm not going to become a pro baseball player. Uh, so I just focused all of that towards, okay, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get a job and yeah. whatever that is, I'm, I'm going to give it absolutely everything. Uh, and I chose sales um, because I love the fact that much like sports, you got out of it what you put into it. Uh, and I knew, you know, that from a work ethic standpoint, from a discipline, like just pounding the rock every day, like no, never yeah. saying, well, it's, you know, <laughs> it's raining out. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too this, it's too that. Like, that's not in my DNA. Um, you know, I, I, I think those things are, are what led to business success. I, I get to admit something to you in the audience. Okay. You you were talking about growing up and, and you know, rolling the ball off the top of the roof, which is a great way to 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 replicate a fly ball, by the way. If you can roll yep. one, you know, if you the way it comes down for for until I was an adult, I didn't know what electrician's tape actually did. I always taped wiffle ball bats and yeah. wiffle balls with it. Yeah. Because my, my dad would bring home electrical tape and we would tape the holes on the wiffle ball because you could throw it harder and hit it farther. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and we used a wheelbarrow for a first baseman. And and, and I and I want to give it there's a guy on Twitter, Super 70 Sports, and, and he he had a picture of a lawn chair the other day and he said the ultimate strike zone. It was a picture yep. of a lawn chair. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So yeah, true. so yeah, that reminds me of the of the way growing up. I gotta ask you this real quick. You mentioned Jeff Bagwell, and his story is incredible in its own right. Um, this was a guy who was buried in the Boston Red Sox minor league farm system and gets traded for an aging reliever. And he goes to the Astros and the Astros go, my goodness, you can hit and we need a first baseman. He, he came up as a third baseman. Yeah. You can hit. We And he goes into, he, he gets into, he makes Houston's ball club. And goes into their lineup in 450-some home runs later. And by the way, when he played the majority of his career in the Astrodome, the hardest place in the big leagues to hit home runs, and Jeff Bagwell was hitting home runs in that place, what did you learn from a guy like that growing up? And did you see that, that he was going to be the kind of special baseball player that he turned out to be? 
No, I knew I knew he had some magic to him. So he grew up. Uh, I I grew up in a town called Madison. He grew up in the neighboring town, Killingworth. Killingworth is a much much smaller town. So they didn't have uh, they didn't have a league. Um, so we wound up playing in the same league together. This uh, it was called the Tom Hammond League. Uh, so he was actually a better soccer player, uh, even through high school. He was a better soccer player than a baseball player. Um, and maybe my claim to fame in life is uh, in the Tom Hammond League. I was the MVP of the league, and he came in second. Uh, next thing I knew, <laughs> he was making $15 million a year, and I was a sales rep selling copiers. Um, yeah, so, one of the, the most dangerous bats in the National League, you know. Right, right. Um, he's a, you know, he has a great work ethic. Uh, Jeff is a worker. He's, he's a tough, tough, tough guy. Like, a lot of people don't know uh, that later on in his career, for many years, he basically played with about one arm. I mean, yeah. his, his shoulder was shot. Um, and he's just a competitor. He's just a fierce competitor. Um, you know, I, I just remember we had a little bit of a rivalry uh, growing up, and then we went to competing high schools, so we played against each other a lot. And I remember once he was pin pitching, and he beamed me pretty hard. Uh, and I insist to this day, I mean, it was uh, it was not a pitch that got away from him. I think it was pretty intentional. Yeah. Um, but he's a competitor. He's a fierce, fierce competitor. I think we could all admit that we've thrown at somebody. If we've, if you've ever pitched <laughs> in any kind of competitive situation, I threw at some of my friends, and it's like, look, you know, it's nothing personal, but you, you're taking part of. I, I was, you know, when we grew up in the in the '80s, they we were taught from little league up. You throw inside. That's your part of the plate. You throw inside, and if you hit somebody, you hit somebody, and it, you know, you, that's just the way it is. So, I, I got to ask you real quick, and I, man, you've been so gracious with your time. Take me through the biggest obstacle that you faced in your life, and what lesson you learned from it. Um, boy, biggest. I've had some doozies, to be honest with you. Um. You know, I found out, uh, and I've never, ever shared this before, ever, uh, publicly at least. Um, I found out when I was 30-something years old, I had the swine flu, and I went to the emergency room, uh, and I had a massive fever. And, uh, you know, they said, yeah, swine flu, so you're, yeah, you're going to be, like, sick as a dog. Um, right before they were going to discharge me, I said, like, I've got this kind of pain in my pec and I think it's from, you know, lifting weights and they said, okay, let's check it out. Uh, they did an EKG and they came back and they were like, I, I think you have something called Brugada syndrome and Anyway, flash forward, uh, you know, I did. Um, it's extraordinarily rare. It's almost impossible to be diagnosed with because 
if you Google it, the other name for it is sudden unexpected death syndrome. So it's the, it's the healthy person that, you know, you get that call, you're like, oh my God, can you believe that, you know, Billy or Sally or whatever dropped dead at 30 or 40 years old and there's no explanation. Uh, oftentimes it's believed that they had Brugada, which is, uh, it's, it's a, the potential for an electrical malfunction in your heart that you die. There's no cure for it. Um, and they're the only thing you can do is, uh, get a pacemaker. So I was, I think 38, uh, and I had two kids and I'm like, well, you know, I've obviously lived my whole life with this, had no idea I had it, but now I know I have it and I have a responsibility to my kids to, you know, be as safe as possible. It doesn't restrict your exercise or anything like that. It's just one of those things. Yeah. So, uh, had a pacemaker, uh, installed a defibrillator, uh, when I was 38. Um, and that was, that was pretty significant. Um, because you walk around at, at any moment, there's no, uh, there's no symptom, like you just die. Like, yeah. <laughs> so having a, having Brugada and knowing that, uh, surprisingly, I never think about it, to be honest. Uh, I don't think about it. Uh, but at the time that was like, wow, okay, this is, this is serious. And it's not serious. Like, okay, I have something that can be cured. I've got something that can't be cured that could strike at any moment. And I got to figure out how to live with that. So yeah. literally never, ever once shared that ever in my life, uh, outside of like some people close to me that know, uh, but you asked, that's, that's probably a, that's a pretty big one. Well, thank you for sharing that here. And you know, it, it's, I have family that, that on, on the Sexton side of my family, and I, I don't share this often, but I, I appreciate you sharing. I lost uh, a cousin, dad, and grandfather pretty well like that. And so I, I'm very mind aware of that situation because you just never know when it's going to, you know, when, you're, when your time's up. And, and what you just said is so true. It's like, oh, man, you know, Billy just dropped dead. And nobody ever just kind of goes, and why did that happen? You know, it, it's just kind of like, well, it, it just kind of happened. But, man, it's amazing what God uses to discover. I mean, it's a swine flu. You you get, without the swine flu, arguably, Scott, you may not have ever discovered that you had it. I would. I, they would have never, ever found it. And when I went to go see, I, you know, I saw the number one uh, specialist in the world uh, for Brugada. His name's Mark Marib, Dr. Marib. He said, Scott, the chances of an ER noticing a Brugada spike is like literally about one in a million because they never see it. So they wouldn't even, if it was staring them in the face, like they wouldn't probably know. So it was kind of a miracle that they diagnosed it. So two things had to happen. I had to have swine flu. It only shows up in an EKG when you have a high fever. 
So it was like that perfect storm yeah. where they figured it out. Um, but again, I like, I view those things as like, okay, it's, I've got it. I can't change it. Uh, yeah. I got to figure out how to live with it um, and make sure that it doesn't affect me and uh, the way that I think and the way that I operate. Um, and it really truly has hasn't yeah and 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 scott there's so much more that we could get into i want to be respectful of your time and the audience's time would you share with us your biggest piece of intentional encouragement you know i guess it's there's a quote that says you know tough times don't last but tough people do um and we've talked actually a lot about that in this in this podcast. You know, COVID is was a tough time, but you've got to say, am I the person that that's going to defeat me? You know, getting diagnosed with something crazy like Brugada syndrome. Um, those are just tough times, but you know, you have to take pride in being that tough person and 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 view those things as opportunities to build your resiliency uh, because truly those are gifts that you're given that help you because the next thing that's going to happen uh, is less traumatic um, because you've already been through stuff. So it's like a callus, uh, you know, you build that callus yeah. and it protects you. So that's the way I view, you know, whether it's COVID or whether it's, you know, a health scare or whether, you know, whatever it is. Um, those are just opportunities to build resiliency. Man, that is so good. Opportunities to build resiliency. And, and man, if, if we need that skill, we need it now more than ever. I, I love the way you, thank you for just putting the icing on the cake there. Or, or just or kicking a game-winning field goal, either one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Scott, tell people where they can get connected with you, get your resources, uh, where they can find Standing O, Standing O Encore. And, and Scott mentioned it, Standing O Tribute. Let folks know where they can get your resources and connect with yep. you. So, again, all the proceeds for all four of the books go to charity. They go to different charities. But Standing O, Standing O Encore, Standing O Salute, and Standing O Tribute are all available on Amazon. Um, and, you know, I, I would love for people to, you'll, you'll be definitely inspired. There's 200 contributing authors that are, you know, wrote unbelievable chapters of gratitude for life lessons learned. And the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Um, that's where I am. I'm not a big social media guy, but I'm very, very, very active on LinkedIn. I just did hit that weird 30,000 uh, follower mark. So I'm actually still not sure if I can accept new invites, but that's definitely the way to, uh, best way to communicate with me is through LinkedIn. I am on Instagram. Um, but, uh, you know, those are really the two platforms, but LinkedIn by far is, is, you know, my go-to. And I also want to mention your company's website, go to try something new now.com. Try something yep. new now. And, and again, if you're, you, yeah, if go you're ahead. interested in the Talent Champions Council, yeah. it's talentchampionscouncil.com. 
it's insanely inexpensive. We just did a masterclass today uh, with Shante Lowe, who's a four-time Olympian, uh, overcame breast cancer, uh, one of the most remarkable people I know. Uh, and we have people like Coach Vermeil and Navy Seals and, you yeah. know, Claude Silver and Kara Golden and all kinds of people. Uh, that come on and teach us in the TCC. So that's another another good resource. And we'll post those links in the in the, the show notes description. So we'll have the links to try something new now.com and as well as talents champions talent champions council.com. Scott McGregor, man, this has been a lot of I've been looking forward to this and and thank you so much for your time and for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks so much. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.